This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Are you ready? Let's go. From AMI Central. Now circling in the neutral zone. Here's the pitch on the way. 36 yards for the win. This. Here comes a big chance. The shot is. Is this the tagger? The neutral zone. as it gets. Now, here's your host, two-time Paralympian, Rock Richardson. What is going on? It's time for another edition of the Neutral Zone. I am indeed Brock Richardson coming to you, as always, from Kitchener, Ontario. And joining me this week, first up is Josh Watson. Josh, how are you? I am good, sir. How are you? I am doing well as well. And Claire Buchanan, how are you? I'm fantastic. It's always nice to uh, come to a Friday, so it's good to be here. Yes, it's uh, legitimately my favorite day of the week uh, for reasons that it's the weekend, and of course it is also the uh, day we get to do the show, so always a happy day. Any big plans for the weekend for either of you? Not at all. Um, my carve a pumpkin or something but other than that just relaxing there yeah no go. real no real big plans for me i'm working tomorrow and then uh, off sunday monday so my weekend will be put off by a day but that's all right yes well i am uh becoming a pet parent this weekend as we are able to get our both of our bunnies uh tonight so be a very exciting weekend around my uh, Kitchener apartment. Um, but yeah, looking forward to the weekend as always. Uh, let's talk about uh, last week's Twitter poll question. The question was, did you watch the 2020 NHL draft? 71% said yes and 29% said no. Josh, start with you. Did you watch the NHL draft? I was working that night, but I did tune in to part of it after I got home, uh, caught probably the second half of the first round. The second day, the, the second round through the seventh round is, is a little too into the weeds for me, but uh, was definitely curious to see where all the top people were, uh, were going to go. Claire, are you a draft girl? Did you catch any of it? I I was following it on uh, my multiple sports apps that I have. I um, I follow them, and yeah, like Josh said, we uh, like to see kind of who gets top picks and see where they they end up. But I found that uh, the the trading afterwards was was most exciting. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. This week's Twitter poll question: In light of LeBron James' fourth title with th- with three different teams uh, who is the greatest of all time is it lebron himself michael jordan or other claire start with you on this twitter poll what say you it's i i don't have a pick for either or they are great in their own eras michael jordan had had his era and and lebron is dominating the modern era so it's I don't think that it's. I don't think it's one or the other. It's it. They they were great in their own time. Ah, so I should have put both in the other spot. Is what Claire's opinion is, which is an interesting take. Josh, what about you? For me, I've voted 
Jordan just because he did get his six rings and watching the documentary of the last dance, you do get a bit more of a sense of some of what was going on around those teams. But really, I don't think there's a, a bad thing to say about either option. It could very easily be LeBron when you consider that he brought three separate teams to those championships. So um, I, I think any answer is a good answer, but for me, it's still Michael Jordan. And I also think it depends on the era in which you uh, you grew up in. If you were a, a Michael Jordan watcher, then you might lean towards Michael Jordan. If you're a guy who a person who watches more LeBron in the modern day, that's going to sway your vote as well. Um, and if you're kind of in both eras, you, you kind of get that luxury of getting to pick between one and the other. So it will be a very interesting Twitter poll this week. With that, let's get into our headlines for this week. The Los Angeles Lakers are the winners of the 2020 NBA championship. In case you missed it, Dave Ferry gives us more. The Lakers wrapped up their 17th NBA championship by building a 64-36 halftime lead in a 106-93 route of the Heat. L.A. turned it into a laugher by outscoring Miami 36-16 in the second quarter. LeBron James capped his fourth NBA title with a triple-double of 28 points, 14 rebounds, and 10 assists. James has won championships with three teams, including the Cavaliers and Heat. Anthony Davis and Rajon Rondo each added 19 points, two more than Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Miami center Bam Adebayo had his best game of the series, finishing with 25 points and 10 boards. I'm Dave Ferry. While Sue Bird captured her fourth title, LeBron James wins his fourth NBA Finals MVP. Here's what he had to say following the award. I just hope I make my guys proud, and, and that's all that matter to me. I make my guys proud, make the fan base proud, my family back home. I can't wait to get back home to them. Akron, Ohio, we did it again, and, um, you know, that's what it's all about. Tyler Toffoli signed a four-year deal with the Montreal Canadiens. He explains why Montreal was the best place for him to land. My decision on coming to Montreal, just knowing the uh, the fan base and how passionate they are, um, you, you look at the players on the team and, and what they've done this offseason already with with who, who they've added to what I already think is a good team. Uh, it's really exciting. I think it's an exciting time to be Canadian. The American League and National League championship series are off and running, and we've seen tale of two teams, especially in the National League, when you consider that L.A., was down 2 nothing, and then they uh, came back and won the other night. And then Atlanta said, oh, yeah, we're going to come back and take a 3-1 lead. As for the American League side, I'm really rooting for the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. I think they deserve to be where they are. And uh, I've expressed my opinions before on the Houston Astros. And so everyone should know why I want the Tampa Bay Rays to be in the World Series. The World Series will begin next Tuesday, and we will find out who will represent both leagues. Those are your headlines for this week. And, uh, yeah, I always love that segment, of course. Coming up next, though, we're going to talk to uh, Jason Yuha, who is blind hockey uh, supremacy, really, when you consider the sport. So going to have a great chat with him. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
And welcome back to the Neutral Zone AMI broadcast booth. And we are set to get this ball game underway. The first pitch brought to you by Brock Richardson's Twitter account at NeutralZoneBR. First pitch, strike. And hey, gang, why not strike up a Twitter conversation with Brett Wills from the Neutral Zone? Find him at Neutral Zone Brett. Swinging a chopper to second base right at CP Buchanan 13. Claire picks up the ball, throws it over to first base. Out for a routine out. And fans, there is nothing routine about connecting with Cam and Josh from the Neutral Zone. At Neutral Zone, Cam J and at J Watson 200. Now that's a winning combination. And this Oregon interlude is brought to you by AMI-audio on Twitter. Get in touch with the Neutral Zone. Type in at AMI-audio. Hot. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone on AMI-audio. I am Claire Buchanan, joined by Joshua Watson and Brock Richardson. I would like to welcome our guest for today, blind hockey athlete Jason Yuha. Jason, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Jason, can you start by telling us how you became involved in the sport of blind hockey? Uh, sure. So it was in the fall of 2017, actually a cousin of mine her and her husband have uh, two children that have the same visual impairment that I do. And they had heard about blind hockey and went for a few uh, skates that were, you know, in our area. So then they told me about it, and then I kind of contacted Matt and went to my first tournament that fall. And, yeah, just kind of continued from there. Jason, we've had the opportunity over the past uh, couple of years as part of the neutral zone to be able to go and uh, – broadcast some of the games and uh, I have to notice that you are one of the uh, stars on the ice at those events. When did you know that the sport would be uh, something you would be successful at? Well, I guess growing up, like I, I've played hockey my whole life and had I was born with Stargardt's disease, so I've played regular sighted hockey my whole life and actually, you know, excelled at that and went pretty far, so I had a pretty good idea I would... Uh, blind hockey right up and you know kind of continue but I wasn't sure because I had never played it before or played with anyone else or the puck so I didn't know how how easy of a transition it would be but once I started I mean it was just like regular hockey so no I'm I've always kind of been a pretty like a fast skater and a pretty offensive player so I kind of had that feeling I would take that into blind hockey but it's uh it was definitely a great experience each year, the Canadian Blind Hockey Championships are held at Mattamy Athletic Centre, which is the former Maple Leaf Gardens. I'm wondering what it's like competing in such a historic building. Oh, it's really special. I mean, you just get that feeling as soon as you walk in. It's so nostalgic. It's just the, all the history that's been there, the great players, teams, the Stanley Cups that have been won there, just all that. Is, you feel that every time you walk in. It's you know, I would have never have dreamt of playing there until, you know, I got involved with blind hockey. So it's uh, it's an amazing feeling, and, you know, it's something I look forward to every year. We are here with Jason Uha, blind hockey athlete. I'm joined by Joshua Watson and Brock Richardson. I am Claire Buchanan, and you're listening to The Neutral Zone. You've had the opportunity, Jason, to uh, represent Canada at a few different events. Can you tell us what that experience is like donning the uh, red and white? Oh, it's it's a huge honor. I mean, 
anytime you get to represent your country, no matter what level or what sport or whatever, it's it's just it's so humbling and so so much honor and pride to put that maple leaf on your chest and go out and compete with other athletes from across the country and you know go out and kick some butt. <laughs> you, as I'm sure you're aware and we are all going through it with this pandemic. A lot of our sports are on hold. I'm wondering, have you had the opportunity to take the ice since the shutdown started? I haven't started up yet this fall. I'm going to here in about a week or so. Uh, we uh, we farm out here, so fall is our busy time with harvest and that, so I've been busy at that the last month or so. But now I'm yeah, just about ready to get back on the ice here, so I'm looking forward to that. It's been a while with, yeah, the... COVID and the whole quarantine and everything, it's been a while, but I'm definitely looking forward to getting back on soon. I, I can imagine this would be a busy time for you in uh, in that farming community for sure. Um, what have you been doing to keep yourself in shape during the pandemic? Uh, just all kinds of stuff. I mean, I my work that I do is very physical. I work with my uh, cousin who's a carpenter, so it's a lot of physical lifting and that kind of stuff and then I live on a farm too so there's a lot of farm work that keeps me active and then just all whenever I can I try to you know go for a run or play sports like I try and play sports throughout the summer golf or any kind you know just playing you know fun baseball or football or whatever I try to try to keep active as much as I can. And Jason we've heard so much about you talked about, you know, playing at the uh, Maple Leaf Gardens. Is it true that there is just that feel um, that you're in Maple Leaf Gardens? Like, as soon as you walk into the building, is there a different feel in there compared to other buildings? Oh, 100%. I mean, I'm not even, I mean, being from Alberta, I grew up an Oilers fan. but uh, So I'm not even a Leafs fan, but just walking into that building and knowing all the great teams and players that have been there, it's, it's it's cool. It's just to go on the ice. I mean, it's it's very special. Yeah. When you talk about special places, is there any special moments that you remember um, just playing the sport in general? Uh yeah. Well, obviously my first uh, nationals in uh, 2018. So that was my first experience at Madame, and uh, I won the top forward and. Uh, our team won the gold medal so that was a cool first experience and then just the national team events being uh, on the first ever Canadian team and we went to Pittsburgh and played the U.S. there and we won that tournament and then again last fall in Ottawa we played the Canada U.S. and were victorious again so just playing for Canada I guess would be the top top memories but yeah, so no, it's but all the tournaments, all the times we get to go together, the summer camps, even they're all special just to be with the guys. So yeah, and you consider yourself maybe a veteran on the team. What what does the next generation of players look like in in blind, blind hockey Canada? Yeah, we got some great young players that joined here in the last couple of years that definitely have bright futures. And I mean, I consider myself still pretty young, but in some of the, I mean, in, I guess in hockey terms, I guess I am starting to be more of a veteran, but it's, uh, there's all kinds of new athletes, new kids, young kids joining all the time, and that's really great to see, because I mean, the kids are definitely the future of the sport, so as many, 
many kids as we can get involved. I mean, that's only going to be good for the future. So the future is definitely bright. That's fantastic. Jason, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Uh, anytime. That was Jason Yuha from Blind Sport and Blind Sport Hockey, sorry. Coming up next, we are going to talk about the Ontario Sledge Hockey Association's return to play plan. You're listening to The Neutral Zone on AMI Audio. Stay tuned. ways to get in touch with the neutral zone on twitter number one at ami audio number two at neutral zone br number three at neutral zone brett number four at neutral zone cam j number five at cp buchanan 13 and number six at j watson 200 now get out there and tweet one for the gifter <laughs> Welcome back to the Neutral Zone here on AMI-audio and Voices for Ability. No, not Voices for Ability. I knew I was eventually going to do that, and it's only taken about a month. We are only on AMI-audio. I'm joined by Claire Buchanan and Josh Watson. Guys, are you surprised that it's taken me that long to make that little tiny flub? A little surprised, but not too much. Yeah, no. It's it's one of those things. Yeah, it's one of those things that you, over the years, you know, we'd been on Voices for so long that uh, eventually I knew I was going to say Voices, and I'm kind of surprised it took about a couple of months for me to come up with that one. But anyway, uh, Claire obviously did a nice job, and for those listeners out there that are thinking, is he going anywhere? No, no, I'm not going anywhere. Claire is being trained as I'm going to be on uh, Kelly and Company in about a month and a bit. Um, to do some co-hosting alongside Danielle for an entire week. So uh, Claire's going to be uh, next up. So you're going to hear her do a few segments, and she did a great job uh, with the last one. And so just keep that in mind as we're an ever-evolving show here on The Neutral Zone. Uh, guys, this next uh, topic is an interesting one. The uh, Ontario Sledge Hockey Association has uh, brought out their return to play plan and I have it up on my screen so that I can uh, reference it because it is a in-depth document um, but first I want to talk to you specifically both of you as to what play looked like before the pandemic before we start talking about what it looks like now Claire start with you I mean my schedule was non-stop really when it came to hockey between just my rec league and then I was on the provincial team and the national team. It's, I only had a couple of weekends here and there that I didn't have hockey. So um, yeah, my, my entire week was, was hockey. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see what it looks like now. Josh, what yeah, about for, you? for me, it was a little easier because for me, you would have a practice usually on a Wednesday night and 
you show up, you kind of pile into whatever dressing room has a little bit of space, get your gear on, hit the ice, and, and off you go for practice. And then usually Saturday or Sunday you would have a game. So it definitely was not uh, socially distanced, shall we say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this document was broken up into, uh, uh, let me see, eight stages. And we are only on like the third stage right now. And what it looks like right now is there are um, only off-ice training happening, individual drills, and things like that. Um, there's no games until, uh, like, actual action games until, uh, like, March of uh, 2021. Claire, overall thoughts on how this document was designed and put together? They definitely took the time to put the thought that needed to go into it, Um have eight different stages it, it just shows the the consistency and the effort that they wanted to put into this doc, document so it's it's going to be nice to get back on the ice and it's it's going to be individual training on the ice but if if we do it the right way and we follow the guidelines that we're supposed to then we we can reach that actual mark of playing a game in march hopefully yeah it's um it's very uh, an in-depth document and one of the things that's on the page right off the top is that this is all at the individual's uh, discretion nobody at Ontario Sledge Hockey Association is saying you have to do this it's very much if you have pre-existing uh, conditions you need um, to take your own precautions and speak to your medical professional because no one knows athletes better than themselves and so the one question I have for you and Josh we'll start with you on this one if we're not talking about actual games until March do you think that's going to deter athletes uh, from from wanting to play I think it depends on the athlete there are certainly athletes who just enjoy being on the ice and enjoy doing drills and improving their skills and those sorts of things. And then there are some more recreational or, or amateur athletes, I guess we'll call us, and I, I put myself in this category, where we don't mind doing the practices, and yes, we do want to improve our skills, but there's nothing better than hitting the ice for a game and playing against people that you don't normally see every day that you hit the ice. So for me, it's, it's been a little bit of a struggle. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm still kind of on the fence about whether I want to play this year or not. Uh, just because the, the games are delayed until hopefully March, but we don't even know if that's the case. Uh, we would normally be going into playoffs at that time of year. So it's going to be a, a tough decision and it's probably one that I'll go back and forth on, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. Claire, any thoughts there? I mean, on my end, it's, 
I am eager to get back on the ice. I've I've done a lot of the training at home this whole time, and I'm just interested to see how it's going to translate onto the ice. And we we definitely have plans with the national team and stuff to kind of whoever can get back on the ice to do it safely. But we we need to get back to training as soon as possible. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking through this document and. Um... One of the columns that it has, it's uh, maximum. Uh, right now, we're in a position where we're maximum uh, 30 people. And that 30 people includes everyone. Um, absolutely everyone. And then we go down and we see um, continuation of 40 people, 40 people as we go. And uh, that's all we see. And... To me, it's got to be um, done in a proper way. I mean, I know I've looked through all kinds of, um, you know, return-to-play plans, and this is a detailed return-to-play plan. Um, Claire, I know you've been back on the ice, whether it be uh, probably on an individual basis more, more often than with anybody else. What does that experience look like now versus when it, before? It's it's quiet. <laughs> um, when I I've been on the ice twice, and it was probably two or three months ago now. Um, but yeah, it's quiet, and you really have to dial in to make it a quality ice time, especially if you're how far you're driving. Um, but yeah, it was really dialing in and be like, okay, I finally have this time to be on the ice. What should I be working on? Did you have that moment of like, okay, I'm on the ice, but like looking around and going, okay, what do I do next? Oh, absolutely. Constantly looking up at the clock of like, oh man, it's only been 10 minutes. And like, it's the time definitely goes a lot slower when, when your teammates aren't there, when you're not having, having a good time and being able to bump up shoulders with them. And yeah, it, it makes a whole difference of when your teammates aren't there. Yeah. You mentioned it a little bit and I don't want to necessarily put you on the spot on the spot but um you said team canada for the women's side has uh some plans are you looking optimistic for what they're gonna put together in the months to come i mean we always have the hope of in the new year or whatever um just hoping that we're in the right position to maybe get some ice time and there's definitely not any flying involved probably but um of course, we're always trying to think of uh, ways we can get get back to where we want to be, but it's it's probably following the same guidelines of we're probably not going to actually be all on the ice together until the spring, realistically. So our our visions are honestly preparing for next season and and what that looks like in between now and then. Yeah, and it's it's very much what does that look like between now and then. And I know I was talking to a few people, Josh, about the uh, London tournament that happens in January, and that's a huge tournament that's going to suffer quite a bit of a loss, isn't it? Oh, it absolutely is. I mean, I can remember going to London and playing a team from Russia. And if you had said to me when I started playing sledge that I would be playing a team from Russia and I wasn't on a national team, I'd have probably laughed at you. But that's the kind of draw that this sport has. And that's the 
kind of draw that this tournament has. It's one of only two tournaments in the year, with the other one being, of course, our, our own cruisers tournament. Uh, now, I can't speak for what goes on in other provinces, but here in Ontario, those are the only two sledge hockey tournaments that I'm aware of. Uh, and so to, to not have that kind of timestamp, if you will, in the, uh, in the calendar is going to be very strange. I mean, you, you come to the end of January, and if you're a sledge hockey player, you just know, oh, it's time for London. So yeah. I'm... Uh, I'm going to be sad not to see it, but we have to do what we have to do in order to uh, be safe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, guys, I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, recently, there's been a report uh, in the media about some funding cuts in the uh, 2020 games. I have a clip. Let's have a listen. Do we have no clip? Okay. Um, so basically this clip says uh, that there's going to be uh, $280 million worth of uh, funding um, into uh, taken out of um, the, the funding. And the, one of the things that's going to be taken out is, you know, flags, no welcoming committee, things like that. When you hear that, Claire, um, what comes to mind for you? I mean, it comes down to the athletes, really. This It's the Olympics and the Paralympics. So the main thing is getting the athletes there so that they can compete and that so that they can compete safe, too. So if they have to cut some stuff out that may or not may or may not be kind of at the higher priority, um, then that's what has to happen just to have a smooth Paralympic and Olympic games for these athletes. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, it's going to be one of those things that if I was an athlete and I got the opportunity to participate in two of them, and, um, I think I'd rather be safe, uh, than sorry. And Claire, you, uh, posted an article about the Paralympic games in our uh, chat group. Do you want to highlight a little bit about what that kind of said? Yeah, it was uh, it was touching on also kind of cutting down on on some stuff that um, might be affected by socially distancing. So uh, the opening and closing ceremonies might look different, or um, yeah, the the torch relay might look different. It's everything's going to look a little different this year, but when all when it comes down to it i i have full faith in that it's still going to be entertaining and that they're going to make sure that it still brings the attention that it needs i guess josh the uh, operative question in this conversation is will the olympics and paralympics run if i was to put you on the spot right now and say do you believe that they're going to run what would you say I do think they're going to run, and I think they're going to run because we are starting to take things more seriously. Uh, I believe that people are starting to see that this is not a joke. It's not a falsehood. It, it is real. And that being socially distant and washing your hands and covering your face are actually helping in a number of regards. Uh, I also 
happen to believe that there's just too much money involved for them not to run. But I can definitely see where certain things could be eliminated. And my hope is just that it doesn't uh, take away from the experience of the athletes. Whenever I've spoken to an athlete such as yourself, Brock, who's been to a Paralympics, one of the first things I hear about are, oh, the opening and closing ceremonies are amazing. So I just hope that we can be safe without having those be too drastically affected. You know, for me, the thing the thing that sort of stands out about the opening and closing ceremony is that's really the opportunity for the general public to understand what the Paralympics are themselves, to get a glimpse of, look at these athletes who have trained for four years and, and done really well. Um, you know, and so when you have less of a, uh, of a, of a, of an audience, I just fear that that's one of the things that that's going to suffer in these games. And obviously I think that certain sports like um, like wheelchair basketball, they're going to survive. Swimming, it's going to survive because those are the ones that people get involved with. My biggest concern is that it, it you know, those smaller sports such as bocce are going to be the ones that are going to suffer. And I don't want to see that in the end. And so hopefully we can we can see this run through. And I just want to tell you guys straight up, the, the Paralympics are one of those things, and one of the biggest things that happen is that, you know, everyone goes and you intermingle with each other and everyone asks everyone, how is your competition today or what sport do you play? I don't see that happening. That's going to be something that's very different in the, this coming Paralympic Games and probably ones in the future because until we get a vaccine, COVID-19 is going to be part of part of the framework. And so... Although, you know, it's all about player safety, first and foremost, you do have to recognize that some of this has to be the overall experience. And sometimes, guys, it's really important to get, you know, the camaraderie between athletes, as you guys have probably uh, experienced over your sporting careers. And having the camaraderie is really important, isn't it, Claire? Oh, absolutely. I some of my biggest memories are from bumping into USA players in the hallway of the hotel or, or just before a game and, and talking about the sport and talking about what's been going on. And so it's, it's going to be tough, especially at, I have in my mind that I'm thinking about those athletes that it's their very first Paralympic games and Olympic games. And it's, I'm just hoping that they still get the experience that they deserve being at those games because they've earned it. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. And the biggest thing that happens at the Paralympic Games that I can think of is the food. The food is – there's like a smorgasbord of, uh, of food. Like it's the size of two Costco's. And everybody goes in at, at various times and there's like – you can it's free for all of like okay your competition's over and now you can go and get food i don't see that happening to be perfectly honest with you and although that's not the main focus of the athletes it's part of it and it's part of the games overall so i hope to see the games run and i sincerely hope josh 
that we don't see the um, the broadcast get you know washed down because of COVID nineteen restrictions because we are trying to get on the right page in in displaying these sports. Oh, absolutely. The Paralympics need as much exposure as they can get. And in fact, when I've told friends who are able-bodied about the Paralympics and that they're going on and that they should watch, invariably, they're always very impressed by the, the level of competition that they see because their expectation is that it's somehow not going to be what they end up seeing so for the paralympics to lose that sort of um, exposure is going to be an absolute detriment if it happens so i i hope the the exposure remains high and and claire i'm sure there's been opportunity in all of our worlds where unless you're at an overall event whether it be the ontario parasport games you may not see different sports, and so when you get a chance to go check it out and see it, you, you get a new appreciation. Have you had a sport that you haven't really seen a lot of, but once you saw it, you kind of had a new appreciation for it? Yeah, I remember when the uh, Pan Am Games were here in Toronto, and I, I ended up getting a couple of free tickets um, to the the goalball match and um it was it was so interesting it's it's something that i had never experienced before and it's i would definitely watch that sport again again and yeah there's i've also seen swimming a couple times and being an athlete at that level myself it's 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 you still get in awe of of athletes talents across the board no matter what sport it is and one of the things that really does happen at those games is, you know, the the Canadian people, um, the Canadian contingent will have tickets for sports all throughout the games or any games. And you can go to the desk and say, I want to go see uh, rugby. And you can go. That's something that I just, again, don't see happening as mass numbers because each sport is going to have to limit their numbers I think as to how many they're going to allow into into venues and that's all part of the experience I keep going back to yes you want to compete and you're there to compete but the Paralympics and when you have more than one sport attached it's about the atmosphere and if, if part of that's taken away I fear that, that you're not going to get the same experience so I hope Everything gets figured out, guys, but uh, it's really a waiting game because we still have, you know, nine months or so before we can even really discuss whether the the Paralympics and Olympic Games are going to happen. So lots of great discussion to happen over the coming months, whether they will or won't happen. And, of course, we'll keep you posted here on the Neutral Zone. With that, we're going to take a break and we're going to switch gears to mainstream sports world. Lots going on in that department. Stay with us. You're listening to The Neutral Zone. We'll be right back.
If you want to leave a message for the Neutral Zone, call now, 1-866-509-4545. And don't forget to give us permission to use your message on the air. Let's get ready to leave a voicemail! Welcome back to the Neutral Zone on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Josh Watson and Claire Buchanan. Guys, a lot to uh, discuss in this segment. Let's uh, start with the NFL and let's just simply discuss COVID-19 has really uh, reared its head. It's seen the Bills have to be rescheduled. The Patriots have to be rescheduled. The Chiefs have to be rescheduled. The Tennessee Titans, like the list goes on and on. So far, they have kept their head above water. Uh, We had this discussion, Claire, about the Major League Baseball season. Will they have a season? Um, Your thoughts. Do you think that the NFL will power through and finish their season? I, I think they made the first mistake of they had fans in some stadiums too soon. And um, like you said, they are keeping their head above water. So um, I don't think that's good enough. So I, I honestly am not optimistic about it completely finishing a season. So they, they really need to figure out what, what to do because they, I mean, the, each NFL team is much bigger roster than say an NBA team or an NHL team. So um, it's just hard to gauge of, of just what to do. Josh? Yeah, for me, I honestly believe they will finish the season. I just don't know if they're going to finish it when they expect to finish it. I think the biggest mistake they've made if they are going to follow this model of teams playing in their home stadiums is not adding in a couple of weeks of buffer to allow for games that had to be rescheduled. I mean, you can't tell me that you didn't see this coming. I'm sorry. If you didn't, then you're not very bright. And they, they like to think of themselves as being some of the smartest people in the room from what I've seen. It was inevitable that some cases were going to pop up. And we're now seeing where the Patriots have had a few cases pop up and then they were fine, and now cases are popping up again, and they've already burned their bye week. So, okay, Roger Goodell, what are you going to do? That actually, honestly, Josh, that is one of the smartest things I, I've actually thought, heard, heard anyone say, really, about building in weeks for this to happen. Because, truthfully, I don't th- I think Roger Goodell thought in his own mind, and I don't know how, but I thought he would think, oh, I'm just going to run through the season and we'll be fine. Well, that's been proven not to be the case. So building in this this time would have been really smart, and I think it's something they probably should have thought about right from the word go, to be honest. And there isn't a way that this season can end in the proper schedule because we've already seen four or five teams be affected by this. Yes, they've rescheduled all the games. I, that's fine. But 
you cannot expect for the Super Bowl, really, in my opinion, to run on February 6th, whenever that is normally. It's usually the first or second Sunday in February. But it's, it's something that Roger Goodell really didn't think about, Claire. And he is one of the more stubborn uh, commissioners of all of sports. Oh, absolutely. I think I don't think he had the players in mind. I think he was just trying to get to that Super Bowl and and make it happen. So I think they need to take a step back and and like Josh said, um, implement some space to to accommodate this happening because you there isn't a bubble and there's so many more people involved that it's it's inevitable to happen and they, they should have seen this coming. Josh, look you wanted to add? Two, yes, look at the t- sports where we've seen no cases and look at the sports where we've seen cases. In the cases where there have been outbreaks, it's in the sports where you travel. It's been in baseball. It's been in football. The two teams that did th- that went with the bubble concept, sure, it looked a little strange, but there were no cases. I understand it's virtually impossible to have 30-some teams all sequestered in one city, but you could have had a West Coast hub and an East Coast hub and then have the winner from each side of the country play the Super Bowl. Is it ideal? No, but it could have been done. But they just put their heads down and said, nope, we're doing it our way, and that's that. And you're seeing the consequences, in my opinion. See, the the whole Major League Baseball will tell you, well, we got we got a bubble. We're we're playing the last two rounds in a bubble. Okay, but in my opinion, and my argument would be, it's too late. You already had so many cases, and I agree with you. Why not be able to say, okay, we can have three, four sites where we can say this is okay, maybe two in each uh, uh, conference and and move on. That, to me, that's that's the easy answer instead of let's power through and, and, and hope for the best because that doesn't you, work. You could even have had one hub city for each division if you wanted to. Like There are so yeah. many different ways you could have done this. Yeah. It's, it's just insane. Yeah. I like the, I like that idea, Josh, of the division bubbles. It's that, like you said, there's so many different things that they could have at least tried, but they they refused to. Or or even what you could you could have done what baseball did, where you only played your American League East and then your National League East, and then play played those two things. You know, like. All of that could have been done. Jeff, I know you're a big sports guy. I want to give you about 30 seconds on the NFL and what they've done. What do you think? Rocky shouldn't have even gotten me started. Um, I thought it was idiotic (laughs) that they'd be traveling around a country that has the most cases globally or one of the most cases globally, and they were going to play NFL games at stadiums, and not only stadiums, but stadiums that have fans in them. 
Um, and now they're allowing even more fans in those stands. I'm not really sure why. Um, it was just a matter of time. I think the MLB was the perfect blueprint for them to follow uh, if they were going to go the route of doing no bubbles. Um, you saw the Miami Marlins, what, the first two, three days of the MLB season. Half of their team went down um, and tested positive. We're seeing that with the Tennessee Titans. Uh, the New England Patriots had another positive test today. Um, and it, it's just been, uh, I, I think it's been a disaster from an NFL standpoint. From a fan's perspective, obviously you don't want to see these guys get sick. But at the same time, like I, I, I kind of like the Tuesday night football. But when you're rejigging the schedule that much, it sort of loses my attention. And uh, I don't know. It, it's been a mess. Right from the word go, uh, and I'll give you the the next word here, Josh, but right from the word go, Kansas City had fans in their stands and Andy Reid looked like he belonged uh, in an operating room going to do surgery with his face mask. Like, I get it. You you wanted to protect yourself, but it just looked ridiculous in my opinion. Josh, give you the last word on this one. All I was going to add was that – the only other sport I know of that's like this is hockey, where these guys are regimented in what they do. They get up at a certain time, they eat at a certain time, they go to practice at a certain time, they watch film at a certain time. When you've got a league where you're saying, okay, guys, sorry, but now you're going to play on Tuesday, their entire schedule gets messed up. And where's your competitive balance then? Like, it's it's just a mess. And like, saying surprise to the Denver Broncos last weekend, last Sunday. Hey, surprise, they're on a bye week. Like, some bye week that was. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, and here's the thing. And I know I'm a, I'm a Bills fan. Okay, the listener's going to go, you're going to sound like a homer. But here's the thing. The Buffalo Bills had to plan for two games this week. Kansas City and possibly Tennessee. And what happened? They look like garbage. And am I saying that that's the full reason they look like garbage? No, not at all. But at the end of the day, the schedule just looks disastrous. And they've had to move the Kansas City Chiefs game to Monday. So it's, you know, I don't know. It's crazy. It's weird. And I don't like it. But that is the end of our show for this week. I would like to thank Claire Buchanan and Josh Watson. I'd also like to thank our technician, Jeff Ryman. Our technical supervisor is Paula Deneen. And our manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. Tune in next week because you just never know where we're going to go and what we might get into here on The Neutral Zone. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.